Welcome to the Inner Huddle Extra Time. Hello and welcome along to the Inner Huddle Extra Time. And this is the second part of our 10,000 download celebration edition or episode with my good mate Andy Reid. So how are you doing, Andy? Welcome back to the show. It's good to be back. Good to be back, chap. Sorry it took so long to kind of get back on, but it's been uh, it's been a busy few weeks. There's been plenty going on. Yeah, I, I do appreciate how busy you've been. It's probably the biggest period of your life, possibly ever, really. I don't know. I don't know how busy you were as a footballer, how you class that as busy, but you seem very busy mm-hmm. now. Yeah, no, I've just got loads on. I've got loads on with presentations, with Zoom calls, with... Um, I've been. Uh, I've just finished off pro license, graduated from that, um, and uh, just just never off the phone. Organising pre-season with with Forest, organising games with Ireland, because that's starting to all kind of come back around now. Um, people are starting to we're starting to kind of organise all the games moving forward. So before nobody knew no, nobody knew what was happening when we were going to be back playing, so we couldn't organise that, and then now. Starting to get back playing again. Everything's kind of um, everything's kind of moving along really, really fast. So you've got to move along really fast with it. So it's been busy, but it's good. It's good. Um, I much prefer being busy. I can't get wait to get back to work. Um, probably, yeah. probably the same as most people. But I can't wait to get out on the pitch every day and uh, you know start getting sessions and start really kind of coaching and 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 organising and getting everything uh, rolling again. Yeah, it's time now, isn't it? It's, you know, given us a few inches and we all want to take a mile, really. We can't wait to get going again. I'm exactly the same. Yeah, no, definitely. And listen, I think we still need to be safe. Uh, everybody needs to be safe and not kind of disrespect all the hard work that has gone before. Um, so we need to, to respect the rules and do it properly. Um, it's going to take kind of more hard work than probably normal. But it's doable. Um, I think the Premier League being back, the, the the Bundesliga being back in Spain, we've all kind of seen that it can work. So um, as long as we, as I said, respect the rules, then 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 there's no reason why we can't uh, why it can't be successful. So so it, it's just different now. It's 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 you know it's it's say the new, the new normal. This is what we need to kind of get our heads around for the foreseeable future. We don't know when fans are going to be allowed back in and. Um, there's going to be lots of social distancing rules in place for, you know, if we get back in with Forest 23 sometime in the next few weeks. We're going to have to look at how we organise things. You know, how do we um, how do we make sure that the gym is set up properly so we're not putting anybody at risk? We have to take them considerations into our sessions that we do um, and, um, and into the guidelines. And at the same time, we have to get these players into the best possible place that we can get them going into the into the into the season. So that's why I say it's going to be harder than normal. There's going to be a lot more organisation, a lot more thinking about it. Um, but that can't be an excuse either. You know, that can't be an no. excuse for, for when you get into the season. We can't say, oh well, we didn't have a good pre-season. We weren't able to do this. We weren't able to do that. That's no good. That's not what. Um, that's not what it's all about. We need to make sure. Um, with the guidelines in place that we still get these these players into the best possible shape that they can be in. Yeah, exactly. Um, and as you've already said, it is doable. It's just adapting and, and being different. Even from the soccer school that, that, that I run, 
uh, you know, the amount of risk assessments and things you have to produce for your venues and um, everybody that's involved and, and things you might not even thought about using all the different guidance. It's, it's hard work, but where you're so dying to get back, you're very prepared to put that hard work in and it's got to be done. It's got to be done. So, Yeah, it is. And, and listen, the, you just got to accept it's going to be it's going to be harder than normal. Um, the organization bit is the, is the most important bit. Um, so you need to spend more time in your planning. Um, the planning has to be spot on. If the planning is spot on, then things will move smoothly. If 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 you if you just kind of rock up on the day and you haven't planned anything and you haven't done all the bits that you need to, then it won't work. So so planning is key. You know if you if you you're talking to coach, talking about kind of coaching and um, and even for the players as well, you know the young players. Make sure if you, you know young players watching this, make sure you're prepared. Make sure you've got all your equipment ready. Make sure your your boots are clean. Make sure you've got your shin pads ready. Your kit is washed. All them different things. Make sure you're prepared. And and that I think this that goes for moving forward as well. Preparation in in uh, in sport if you want to perform at, to a decent level at any level. Uh, you need to be prepared. You know, you need to be organised. You need to, you need to know what you're going into, know what you're doing, uh, and be ready for that. And and I started, I started to probably realise that from maybe twenty, probably twenty four, twenty five, how important, um, how important preparation was, and started to become more and more important as I moved through my career. So, um, I can't stress to people enough how good preparation. Um, and good organisation are, are real key to making sure the training sessions work properly, uh, that you're ready going into a game and uh, and everybody's prepared for what's to come. The flip side of that, I'll just throw in, um, is having, as I got older and more experienced with my coaching, when I first started, I was really well planned. I had lots of session plans and I tried to stick with, we'll do 15 minutes of this and 20 minutes of that and all this and kind of tick it off and then at the end you'd analyze it and go yeah done now I'm I've got a lot more room for adaptability within sessions so that I can react to things that I see on the day rather than stick into a structured list although I do plan because it's important to have some sort of structure in place you need some adaptability in there as well which is why a lot of ex-players make the best coaches because they're able to see things that other people can't and can adapt on the job yeah listen structure is is massively important you have to have structure about what you're doing there's no doubt about that and preparation organization all them things but football is a reactionary sport yeah things change things happen there and then uh, you know, something might pop up that that you that you as a coach you can't ignore. Um, you know, something might happen in a session. It might not be what you were planning. Um, it might not be um, even your kind of coaching topic. But if it's that serious, you have to deal with it there and then. Now, there's some things that you don't need to step in and deal with there and then. You note it down. You have it in your head, and you can deal with it later. You know, you kind of go. You know, remembering that little piece there, that little passage of play. Um, you went here, you went there, well, maybe you could have done this. That can be dealt with after. But if there's something glaringly obvious that really jumps out, which is some things need to be there because um, if it's that important, you might need to show the players the picture as it happens. So it might be, you know, you know, hold it there, um, look where everybody is, where do you need to go? And I don't like stopping sessions, you know. No, and, normally. And, and when I'm coaching, um, 
I always try and use the natural breaks in the game to kind of try and get my, my, my points across. And I think it's very, very important. Or if there are, if there are real points, if, if it's really moving into, into game prep area where we need to let our players know what the opposition will be doing or how we can hold the opposition and a situation comes up, then I, I try and set aside a little period where I think, well, I'm going to coach in this period, okay? So, and I'll let the players know that that's going to be the case. So they're not kind of going, oh, well, we stopped it again, you know? And because I know as a player, you don't like that stop start all the time, but sometimes it's necessary. So if you plan in your session, okay, I'm going to stop it for this 15 minute period. If you're doing 11 by 11 or um, you're doing some tactical work, whatever it is you're doing. I'm going to stop it in this 15-minute period and try and get my my coaching points across. And then the rest of the time is your time. Go and play and go and implement the bits that, that you've done. Now, sometimes that can work really well if you if you say, if you're doing an 11 v 11 and you're doing, say, a 45-minute 11 v 11, okay, the first um, 15 minutes, let them play. And, and generally, at times, the, thing, the, the bits and pieces that you're trying to get across will come out. Um, then the 15 minute in the middle period, then use that as your coaching period then, you know, so, so then you can go in and you can stop and you say, and you can reference the first 15 minutes. Um, you know, when that happened in there and when this happened in there, you can all see it and the players have been through it. They've experienced it for the last 15, 20 minutes. So it's really fresh in their head. You try and rectify all the things. You try and give the players the ideas to let them try and implement them. You've got your 15 minutes where you've got your coaching. And then the last 15 minutes, right, there you go. Go and show us what you've learned, you know, because that's what we're trying to do when you're coaching. You're trying to um, you're trying to get the players to understand uh, what it is they're doing and why they're doing it, you know. And, and I think you can take it into teaching because coaching is teaching. It's just a different form of teaching. If you go into players and you say, right, well, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do that, the players kind of think, well, he's just telling me what to do here and I just go and do it. Sometimes they might not understand why they're doing it. Now, if a player understands why he's doing something, then he's got a much better chance of learning and being able to use that, not just in the next period that you're telling them, but for moving forward because he knows why. Um, so there's different ways you can do that. You can show it to them as a visual. So you can kind of set up the, um, the, you can set up the situation, the scenario, and let them kind of say, well, where should you be here? Where do you think we can exploit them? Where do you think their dangers are? And let them figure it out for themselves. So it's kind of guided discovery. Yeah. Uh, uh, or you can kind of, you, you, you can say to them, right, you can ask them the question. You know, you can kind of say to them, okay, where do you think we could be, we could really, really hold them here? Tell me where you think, right? And they tell you where they think you could hold them. Okay, show me how that might look then. And then they're showing you what it is. So, that, and there might be times where you have to kind of tell them, or you might work on it in uh, in, a, in a video setting um, with the, in the analysis. Um, you might do it like that. So, there's loads of different ways of getting across them. But rather than telling them, "Well, you need to do this, you need to do that," if you can get them interacting with you, you giving, uh, them giving you uh, what they think about it, and if it's the right thing to do then it's, um, it sticks in their brain a lot more uh, and they get a bit of a mental picture. And, and I think that's one thing people who've played the game, now it doesn't necessarily mean they've had to play, play the game to a high level, but if you've played the game, I know what way I learned. And everybody learns differently. Everybody takes things on board differently. And you have to be really um, conscious of that because um, 
And, and I always try and stay away from, oh, well, that's how I learned when I was a player. Because just because that's how I learned and just because that's what I responded to, doesn't mean that everybody that I'm coaching now is going to respond in that way because it's not all the same as me. Everybody learns in different ways. Some people... Um, some people like like to um, like to be shown um, on a tactics board what they're doing. Some people like to see it actually happen on a pitch. Um, so the best way that you can get the best out of your players is by explaining to them um, and, and understanding them, uh, understanding what makes them tick. And that's where the kind of the mental side of the game comes uh, comes from. And, and I think the, the the best coaches that I worked on that and the ones that that I feel that I've learned from. They were very, very good at spotting what made people tick and then setting up scenarios then to let them go and see that picture and let them go and express themselves in that way. As always, fascinating stuff. We have a few questions here from the kids. And last time we just chatted and chatted and we didn't uh, get through as many as we liked. So I'm going to go in with a, a couple of questions for the kids. We are obviously recording the audio for the podcast and we're also recording the video as well um, uh, in case we want to put that out as a video at some point and if you notice behind I've got our old Charlton Athletic team photo there behind not very good if you're listening on a podcast but it's there I think the good old days there's me there and there's you there never too far apart and then there's a nice individual one of you out there really so you'll feel nice at home so the first question we've got is from young Jacob Bat, who's, I think he's a school year seven now. Um, and I know exactly why he's asked this question. Was there any sibling rivalry in your family and did it help you to achieve in sport? Well, you know my brothers. I know you your know, brothers, yeah. You know my brothers as well. What do you think? Do you think there was some sibling rivalry there? I think there might have been and probably still is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we did, listen, we were a football family. All my brothers played football. My dad played football. So there was always football going on in the house. Now, the problem that my brothers had, and, and I'm kind of not kind of showing off here, is that I was always quite a bit better than them. <laughs> so my older brother, that used to wind them up all the time. And um, so we'd be playing a game. He wouldn't be able to get the ball off me. I'd beat him uh, quite comfortably. And then he'd start getting angry and aggressive as all the brothers do when the younger brothers beat them. Um, and uh, he would probably come in and try and tackle me or throw a sneaky little elbow in there or do whatever he could to try and win. Um, I think that's... Uh, <laughs> listen, I'm not encouraging anybody to go and elbow their brothers or <laughs> anything like that. But, but playing with, with people who are older than you, and I did it with, with, with friends. and with, like, I mean, when I was when I was probably 10 or 11 and I was playing football with 18 and 19 year olds you know there's a massive gap there and sometimes I didn't even get a kick of the ball you know but when I did get on I kind of always done okay but the um it, it, it helps it helps you develop physically it helps you do, because if you want to get involved in the game and you want to um try and have an impact on the game you have to find a way to make it work so sometimes playing with all the people um, can be very, very valuable. I know when I when I went to Forest Force, I mean, I was 15 and I was playing in the under-19 um, Premier League. Um, there was an under-17 league and an under-19 league and I kind of skipped the under-17 league and went straight to under-19. So I was playing against, you know, 18, 19-year-olds um, when, when I was 15 and it was a massive help to me, you know, really big help to me. Um, so, uh, yeah, but there was definitely rivalry in, in, in my family growing up. Yeah, um, 
Jacob's uh, got a younger brother, Anthony. They both come to me and uh, well, they're both be... very competitive and bring out the best in each other, I think. Well, Jack, don't be too mean on them. Don't be too mean on them. Give or, them, give or them. Anthony, don't be too mean on Jacob. You need to give each other a little bit of a leg up every now and again. Don't forget that although you've got that rivalries, you're, you're, you know, you're still brothers and you've got to look out for your brother. You know, you've got to look out Actually, on a serious note, during lockdown, I think it's been really good for the ones that have got siblings. You can actually get out and have a kick about with someone and react to things and do 1v1s and headers and volleys or whatever challenges you come up with together competitive-wise has, has been probably a lot more valuable for, for those that have got brothers and sisters. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, my, my eight-year-old Oscar, um, I don't know, you know, he does love his sister, uh, Esme, who's only two. Um, but he has said to me a few times through this lockdown, I wish Esme was a boy so I could have somebody to play football with. <laughs> you know, and I was like, okay, uh, we'll move on from that one. So he's, um, so, so it is, it's a massive help. You know, it's a massive help because you're still getting a kind of competitive edge there because, yeah. you know, that competition is, you know, it's healthy to have that competition um, with your brother or with your sister. And, and I would say set little challenges for yourselves as well to compete against each other, you know, and in, a, in a friendly way, you know, not in a serious way, but just in a friendly way because that competition helps. Because I think to play football, you know, we all love the fun side of football. It's great. But, but we love the competitive side of it as well. You know, we, I think it's human nature to... To, that, that we like winning, you know. So to set up competitive, um, competitive situations, I think is is is, is massively important. I mean, and we, and we do it now with, with the training sessions. So we so I try and make them as competitive as possible. And it's different from a seven or an eight year old. You know, totally different for a seven uh, for a seven and an eight year old. But um, you, we everything that we do, we want to have a competitive edge to it. Yeah, and, and also another valuable lesson we're playing your brothers is learning to lose and, and learning that you know, I had two older brothers so I got very used to having to work really hard and find different ways that I could beat them especially at football because they were obviously six years and eight years older than me um, it was you know and I, and I learned to actually I was a goalkeeper to start they used to bump me in goal and belt the ball at me so uh, so yeah, yeah. But, losing losing's an interesting one because nobody ever likes losing um, but it just seems to be that you seem to learn more um, when you lose and when you do when you, uh, more than when, than when you win. I think when you win, everybody's that happy that they win and they just kind of don't even think about it. But when you lose, you really think about it then, you know, and you're like, well, why did I lose here? You know, what what can I do to make myself a little bit better? So, um, yeah, win, winning can often paper over the cracks, can't it? Yeah, you know, you know definitely, it. definitely can. So, you have to find ways. Yeah, we're disappointed when we lose, but if you learn from it, then at least you've gained something from it, you know? Whereas if you just lose and that's it and you've just lost and you don't think about it, then you're a double loser, really, aren't you? Because you've lost your thing and you've not learned from it, you know? Well, uh, so, talking of that, I found it interesting at the weekend. Was it Bamford for Leeds scored and, and got pulled off at half time because um, the manager didn't think he was contributing enough to the team, but he still scored? And it's a bit like that because often that would be enough just because you scored whatever your performance is like to give you another 15, 20 minutes and whatever. But well, you'd be well, able to thought, no, you haven't done what I want you to do and pulled him off regardless that he put his team one up. Yeah, and, and the, the subs that came on made a real impact. Um, I know Alioski came on and scored. Is it um, Fernandez, the midfielder? 
Yeah. Yeah, he looks a good player. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Costa that came off at halftime with Bamford, um, two really, really good players there. Well, that's a sign of a good manager who um, who knows what's best for the team. Um, and, you know, and, and that's what it's all about. And the players will be disappointed to come off at halftime, absolutely. But you've got to do what's best for the team. And, and I think Bielsa showed that he was right because the players that come on made a real impact. Fantastic second half performance they got, and um, they, they got their other goals, and, and it was a massive win for them. And that's what it's all about the team, you know. There's an individual focus on learning and how can you improve players individually. Well, you're only preparing them and teaching them individually so they can come together as a collective and achieve um, achieve better things, you know, to, to really. Um, because you you know, you're only as strong as, as, as your kind of teammates as well, you know. you, can, you you need your teammates and they need you. And that's, I mean, probably the perfect example of that is is Liverpool. Um, you know, you look at the team, okay, they have got outstanding individuals um, in, in Mane and in Salah and, and players like that. But you look at the ticket and Van Dijk as well. But all them, like them players are massive team players as well. Um, Mane, I think we mentioned before, 1,400 metres high intensity running, he covers in games. That's the ultimate team player. Look at Jordan Henderson and uh, Robertson and, and James Milner and, and all these people. And, and the, the, the individuals are really, really good, but the collective is stronger than anybody else. And, and, and it defeats everybody else when they're in that frame of mind and when, when they're all playing for each other. And the good thing about them is that they know that. Um, they, know how, they know how strong they are as a collective, and that's why... And um, that's why nobody can touch them at the moment because yeah, well, they they kind of go out thinking you've got to have some performance against us today if you're going to beat us. Yeah. It's got to be elite, right, top draw. You've got to work harder than us and be better than us. And beat us, you know. So, you know, Salah and Firmino and Mane are kind of going out on the pitch thinking, well, I know that Virgil van Dijk and Gomez are going to do their job at the back. So if they do the job at the back and they don't concede, I fancy us to score. If you're going into that game, and you're thinking, there's a good chance that we're going to concede here in the first 10 minutes, then straight away as an attacker, you're thinking, this is going to be a long afternoon, you know, I'm going to have to score two or three for us to get out and out of the game. Whereas, you know, and, and that's where a team is strong, and, and, and vice versa, Van Dijk is thinking to himself, well, well if I can keep this to nil-nil, uh, then I know that one of them is going to get a goal for us at some point, you know, and that's how that's how strong teams develop. You know, that reliance on other people and that understanding. Well, he's going to do his job, but it comes from everybody doing their job, and you know that they're going to do the job, and everybody in the Liverpool team knows that. Talking of Henderson, um, former teammate of yourself at Sunderland, did you have any idea then? Obviously, he was a talented boy back then, but would you have ever envisaged that he would take over from someone like Gerrard and go on to what he's achieved today? No, 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 not at all. Um, listen, as you say, talented lad, very, very fit, uh, technically um, a good player, probably better than what people give him credit for. And he's improved on that over the years as well. Look at his passing range now. He's, he's a fantastic passer of the football. And I love what, when I watch him now, what he does really, really well is he passes them 10, 15-yard passes that people are sometimes a little bit dismissive about. He passes them as good as anybody on the football pitch bang, stick them in exactly how you want. If you're a player, you want this stuck into you so you can take a touch out of your feet and you're kind of away and you pass it brilliantly. Um, 
and to see where he's come and to you know to see what he's achieved is absolutely fantastic and it's great because he's a he's he's a real down to earth lad you know from a from down to earth family uh, up at Sunderland um, uh, and to see where he's gone and and his mentality is a great thing as well I mean I I heard a story and and obviously I wasn't there at the time, but I heard a story that when Brendan Rodgers was there. Um, a bid came in from uh, he wasn't really playing that much Jordan at the time and a bid came in from I think it was Fulham and um, the, the club accepted the bid and by all accounts Brendan Rodgers said to him if I was you I wouldn't go because you know you can always go to a Fulham from, from a Liverpool no disrespect to Fulham but you can always go to Fulham from Liverpool but once you go you can't come back you know, you you know you're not coming kind of coming back. So he kind of urged him to stick with it a little bit and played a little bit more. And you know, when you're talking now, uh, well, club legend like he's lifted the European yeah. Cup, he's got to lift the Premier League. He, he, he's a great leader of that football club, and there was a possibility that he could have left at one point. You know, so that takes strong mentality to kind of come back from stuff like that as well. And strong mentality is needed at that top level. Um, and, and and improving as you as you go along as well. I mean, look at the improvements that he's made year on year on year. When he went to Liverpool, um, he was nowhere near as good a player as what he is now. But that's what the good players do. They constantly improve year on year. They just get a little bit better at this, a little bit better. Passing gets a little bit better. Uh, understanding the game gets a little bit better. Organisation gets a little bit better. Leadership gets a little bit better. And then all of a sudden, then you've got you've got the complete package of a midfielder. You know, he, he, the definition of a complete midfielder. And what a role model for the uh, youngsters coming through, and having Milner there as well. You know, you can't. And both players get not stick as such, but get a bit of stick for being quite well, limited in what they do. But what they pass on to the others must be so valuable. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the thing, and it's why I use Liverpool as an example, and. Um, and I grew up as a Man United supporter, so uh, so to use it is, is is not the easiest thing to do. <laughs> but I use them as an example all the time because they're the best team in the world, uh, best club team in the world at the moment, and they work harder than everybody else. So that's telling you something, isn't it? Yeah. You know, th- that's telling you something that to be the best team in the world, you need to work really, really hard. Man City, Man City do it as well. And they've been beaten by a better team this season. But Man City is still fantastic. Look how hard they work. Now it's a different type of work as in um they don't high press everybody really for, but when they give away the ball, the intensity to go and get the ball back is absolutely phenomenal. The distance that the midfielders cover in in, in um in Man City's team is absolutely phenomenal as well. So um it, it, you know, there's different ways to do it, but hard work is, you know, it's 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 vitally important. But cover the distance, uh, get your high speed running in, um, and you know, it's massively, massively important. And then, and then that gives you the opportunity then for your ability then to shine, um, because if you can get the ball back really quickly, and then you end up with the ball more than the opposition, then you've got more. Uh, opportunity to show what you can do ability-wise. If the yeah. opposition, if the opposition have the ball more than you, then that means you've got less time to show them what you can do. Absolutely, two different styles, but both built on hard work and having good players. Obviously, but if you can match yeah, all well, of those things, then. But, first, but, but, but the, I think, listen, the point there is they're the, they're the best, some of the best players in the world, and they work harder than everybody else. Yeah. You know, so it's 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 not rocket science. 
you know, you have to have the ability, but you have to have the work ethic to go with it. Yeah. Great stuff. Right. We'll move on to a question from young Alfie Pavlak Walsh, who is a Liverpool fan. Um, what was the first team you ever played for? And can you remember what boots you wore? I had a pair of high-tech boots. Um, do you remember high-tech? Yes, I do remember high-tech, yeah. He won't, he won't remember high-tech. No, he definitely not. Um, I had a pair of high-tech boots. I played for um, for Lewis Celtic um, over in Dublin for a couple of years um, before I moved to Cherry Orchard. So Lewis Celtic was my was my first kind of team, um, first proper team. And uh, yeah, a pair of high-tech boots. Cool. Um one for one from me. Uh, want to talk a little bit sorry, about... Sorry, just just before I... I just want to yeah. talk about that, right? Where we've got boots, okay, and for, for young players. Oh, yeah, go on. And, and, and I do with, with, with my eight-year-old as well. Um, you need to make sure that your boots are clean. Right? And I know it might seem like a trivial... Uh, like a trivial thing oh well doesn't what does it matter it absolutely matters it shows the discipline it shows you taking pride in your appearance you're taking pride in your uh, you know in what you're doing when you go out on the pitch so make sure that you clean your boots don't get your parents to clean your boots go and clean your own boots and make sure that they're absolutely spotless be the best you know look the best you know make sure that they're spotless because it shows if I'm a coach and I'm coming to take a session for, you, for, for your guys, okay, which I have come down and take a session before, and I look around and I see boots are clean, boots are clean, boots are clean, boots are dirty. Straight away, what am I going to think? I'm going to say, well, he doesn't really care, does he? He doesn't really take pride in what he's doing, and he doesn't really want to be the, the best that he can be. Again, so, it goes back to something you can control. You're in control whether your boots are clean or yeah, dirty. Yeah, well, there you go. We spoke about that in the last one, didn't we? we did, you know? Yeah. They are in control of, and, 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 and equipment is one of them. You know, take responsibility for your shin pads, for all your bits, but make sure your boots are clean. Because because you might not think that people notice, but believe me, they do notice. You know, and and it's the same. And we talk about it now, even uh, at a professional club. And when I go away with Ireland with my young lads, I'm looking to see who's going to help us carry the kit in at the end. Who's going to help us pick up the cones? Who's going to help us get all the footballs in? And who are the ones that are just going to walk in? and just finish and just walk away and just leave everything because I might not say anything there and then but I notice and I'm, and again I'm thinking so well is he really buying into what we're trying to do here and it goes back to that kind of team ethic um, and coaches and managers they look for things like that because they want to, to see they want to see good people with humility who are buying into what they're doing uh, it's very very important also scouts as well I mean, obviously, I'm a scout at Southampton Football Club. And one of the things we've talked about in our CPD courses is actually when you've been watching children for a while, turning up early to see how they get out of the car, to see if mum and dad are carrying their equipment. Do they come over and how are they when they first interact with the other boys um, or girls um, and with their coach? Or do they throw their bag down and throw their bottle somewhere and mess around? So you never know. So it's something I'm... I'm big on as well with trying to get through to the kids, you know, especially yeah. if your club, which you should have nowadays, has got a certain ethos and values. You want to see that that child, however good they are, is going to fit in to your club well, values. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you don't want um, every player that comes into a club or that comes into a team um, brings something to that team. Now, that can be something that's positive 
which is what we're all looking for, or it can be something that's negative. Now, if you could constantly bring negative things into the environment that we're working in, then I'm not going to accept that because I'm not having somebody being negative around everybody else and bringing the negative energy into our group. It's not going to happen. So it will just be a case of, no, I don't want you around the group. Now, if you bring positivity, that can take you a long way. Because I'm saying, we say, well, he brings a positive attitude every single training session, every single game that rubs off on other people. And that's what I'm looking for. So it's, it's, it's important. And it's important for, for young players to understand that. And it brings me on nicely to my question, which is uh, I want to talk a little bit about your Oscar. Um, he's just joined Forest under nines, I believe, from uh, September. Have you noticed many changes since you were at Forest as a, as a youngster at the academy, or is it still very similar? Are there any glaring differences or are there any basics that continually run throughout the club? And I heard... Um, uh, you talking a little bit with Dawson and um, Jermaine uh, Genus about it as well. So I thought I'd throw it in. Yeah, listen, it, football has moved on a lot. There's a lot more contact hours for the younger players. So that would probably be the biggest difference is the amount of contact hours. Um, so the, the under nines will train Monday, Wednesday, Friday and play a game on a Saturday. And sometimes if there's a tournament on at the weekend, they can play Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot more contact hours kind of um, there. That's that, that's the biggest thing. Um, I think at Forest and 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 obviously speak to the to the guys in the foundation phase and they're really really good. We want the, the the young players to express themselves because it's very very important that young players are given the opportunity to kind of express themselves and not be told right you have to control the ball with this part of your foot you have to control the ball with that you have to pass it this way you have to pass it there. Because they're still finding out what they are good at. You know, some people might be good at doing a Cruyff. Some people might be good at doing a step over. Now, if you're telling them um, to do a certain thing, they might not ever try them things. So you have to let them try things. Okay, you'll find out that some things are good for you and some things work and some things don't. Um, and that's where you probably need to help them and kind of say, well, listen, that's not really working for you. I know you've tried. It's not really working for you. So you need to practice that a little bit more away from this setting before you bring it back into the game setting and then maybe try it again when you get a little bit better. But I've been watching you and you're really good at, the, at doing the Cruyff or you're really good at playing through balls or you're really good at tackling or wherever it may be. Um, so let's try and work on that. So, you know, we want to work on the things that we're not so good at, um, you know, that we need to improve at. We want to work on them things for young players. But we also want to work on the things that we are good at as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think people can focus sometimes on what players are not good at. You know, it's very easy to focus on, well, well, I'm not good at that. He's not good at that. And and as coaches, we've been guilty of that as well. Mm -hmm. All coaches are guilty of that and say, oh, well, he can't do this and he can't do that. Well, okay, but what can he do? So let's try and put him in a situation where he can do what he's really good at more. And And as that's going on then, can we walk on, you know, on the side, not not in games and stuff like that, but on the you know in training and doing little bits extra. Like, how can we work on you know what he needs to improve on to kind of get better? So you're you're still really kind of pushing what what he's good at uh, and keeping the confidence really really high, um, and at the same time just improving on them things that 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 he needs to maybe just kind of look at a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I work with 
the younger age groups and I always feel it's it's my job just to show the children what is possible and inspire them and then you have to create an environment where those children can then go and find out what they like doing and what works for them and what doesn't and you have to balance up the two so yeah you show them what's possible I'm very keen to say well you don't it's not a tick list you don't need to know a Cruyff for flip flap and, and then you're a good player but you need to know what's possible so then you can go out and explore and you need to create that environment where they can explore for themselves, set problems for them to find their own solutions to. Absolutely. And you need to try, you know, when you talk about the environment, you need to set up scenarios where they get the opportunity to do that. Yeah. That's where as a coach, you need to be inventive. You know, how can I set up a session? If I'm saying to my right winger, I want you to get the ball out of your feet and put early balls into the box because I want my striker to try and get on the end of them. So there's no point in 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 saying that you want them to do that and then setting up a load of defensive stuff in the session. You need to set you need to set up the session to get out what you're trying to trying to get out and give them the best opportunity to be able to go and do what you've asked them to do. Um, I think more so with the with with the with the younger age group with the kind of the foundation phase. Um, I think it's um, you need to get the, the the young players to buy into you. I mean, the coaches at Forest are absolutely fantastic, and the kids love them. They absolutely love them, and I'm probably I'm sure it's probably the same at, at Southampton as well. And it's the same, you know, with you. You you're very very personable, and people buy into you. Um, what you're doing and, and I see that you know when I go Oscar Oscar probably Oscar will listen to to the to, the, to his coaches at, um, at Forest more than he listen to me because they buy into him and I know I'm his dad in that as well but it's a different way so you have to find a way to, to you know to, to be personable and to to get them to buy into you and when you do get them to buy into you then they you know they trust what you're saying, and they trust that it's the it's the the right thing to to do, and and that's when you get that's when you get massive gains. You know that's when you can see massive improvements because they totally trust you, um, and they know the information that you're giving them is right, and they feel comfortable in going and expressing themselves w- within that structure. And it's fun. You always got to come back to fun. Not enjoy themselves. <laughs> at that age especially at that age and that was the one that was my concern right and I spoke to uh, I spoke to Candice about it um, when Oscar went in and I hadn't been in at the time I hadn't been in and seen Forrest all that much um, but he, he wanted to go into an academy some of his friends were going in Candice wanted to go in I, and I said oh, I just don't want the fun to go out of the form. You know, I don't want the fun. It's massively important um, in the foundation phase that football is fun. Um, now, when it gets later on and you get professional, it doesn't become fun as much because it's a lot more serious, you know, and, and you have to find ways around that. But at that age, you're still developing your love for the game and um, the fun element has to be right. And so I took him along and he had probably eight or nine sessions and I was watching him in the sessions and he always had a smile on his face. He always came, came away um, having learned something um, and he always came away like kind of with a real excitement uh, in his voice. So, you know, that was what I was looking to see. So as soon as I seen that, I was like, right, if you want to stay here and they want to keep you on, um, then you... Um, then, then, then that's fine with me. You know, I've seen the environment now. I've seen um, what it's like. And since, obviously, I started working at Forest, I've had a lot more contact with them coaches in the foundation phase. And 
and and I know that they're that they're doing the right things. Um, and how has Oscar found lockdown, both in general terms, and and football? And obviously, I've got a ten-year-old who's had his his moments um, with both. I think with with Josh initially there was a great oh it's an extended school holiday and. He had challenges from his boxing club and challenges from his football club and he was doing bits with me. And then suddenly it all yeah. nosedived a little bit and he didn't have the energy or or the desire to 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 continually carry on with those things. So I was just wondering how has Oscar found and how have you dealt with those challenges? Well, listen, he's been okay. And, and if I look at the, at the bigger picture and look at it overall, both of my kids have dealt with it remarkably well. And like you say, we've had our moments and we've had our arguments, as I'm sure kind of everybody has had. And, and, and that's when you need to put it into perspective and you need to understand that it's, you know, it's been difficult for, for the kids as well. You know, I we have had a real rough time, really. I really do. You know, it's been, it's, been, it's been difficult for them as well. So you have to take that into perspective. Um, with schooling, uh, we found a way into how we were going to learn, and, and I'm trying to get them across. And this schooling is massively important, and you have to buy into it. And this is the first thing. So, so when we get up in the morning, um, from kind of nine till half eleven, um, or till twelve o'clock until we're done, it's schoolwork, and that's it. Because the schoolwork for you now is the most important thing. Once you get that done, we can start to look at other things. So we can start to look at doing your football challenges then we can work the back garden we can start to work on some bits and pieces um, and then what, what what I have done um, over the last probably six weeks is I've started to add a bit more fitness stuff in from so I'll take Oscar out for, for a little run with me and we'll do a couple of kilometres or to try and build up his um, just his, his exposure to kind of because he's used to training kind of three times a week and sprinting around all over the place and running around everywhere. And then all of a sudden he's just in the back garden and you're not getting that longer kind of stuff. And um, so uh, we started to kind of add that into him. And I think by keeping it fresh, I think it's important as well. Not doing the same stuff every single day in the same in the same way, you know, giving them different challenges are massively important. They're massively important to keep the brain engaged, you know. To, for they for, for them to think about it and Forrest have been quite good with that and in setting challenges for them to do they've got a zoom meeting every week with the whole team and they give them three or four new challenges to kind of complete and um, by the end of the week um, and then we have to give him the environment then to do that and, and that's sometimes difficult as well you know because uh, you know I've got tons of work on Candice has work on um, we've got a two-year-old as well. So so it's difficult to be able to find the time all the time to just kind of say, right, well, let's go out and just walk for three hours out of the back garden or let's go to the park and walk for three hours because um, everybody has different things going on. But you have to try and make the best of it and do it as best you can. And, um, and and you have to find that time, you know, and it's difficult to to, to, to always find that time. And sometimes it has to be a little bit of give from, from Oscar and to say, okay, listen, I've got, a very important Zoom call here. Once I get done, me and you will go out and we'll do some football and, and, and it's a bit of a trade-off. And It's going to be yeah. um, going to be interesting in years to come when they're older and look back at this time, how they feel about it in years to come, you know, how they look back on what it was. I think a lot of them will look back quite fondly, you know, extra time spent with mum and dad and doing things that they might not have done done before. But I think there is well, an important challenge as well for just touching on the fitness side of it because I wouldn't even touch fitness as, as such with with my group the youngsters but there is going to be a challenge of 
the children that haven't been very active going back into that environment and playing that much because you don't want these kids picking up little niggles at that age you know that, yeah. that might affect it, them going forward so it's a big challenge for coaches it, it is it is a big challenge and, and and I think that's I think parents have to take responsibility for it now and you know listen we have have issues with Oscar he wants to sit on his iPad um, and, and, and do stuff on his iPad and you know, you kind of say, right, come on, Oscar, I need you to do this. And he's like, no, I'm playing my iPad. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you've played your iPad for the... So limiting on the time, that's what we do now. We limit them on the time that you can play the iPad. And sometimes it's an easy thing to to kind of just ah, go on playing your iPad, you know. Convenient, um, isn't it, when you're working? Yeah, but you have to be strong on it. And we've started to kind of get strong on it um, and, and really limit its kind of screen time. Um, I think it's important. So... Um, you know, but every parent is facing the same problems, you know, because, you know, kids always try and push the boundaries. And, and, and I like that. And I like that Oscar's got a bit of character about him because that's what, you know, that's, that's what I don't want him to just be bland and be the same as everybody else. And sometimes that can be a little bit more challenging. Um, he's not a naughty child by any stretch of the imagination. He's actually really, really good and really well behaved. But same as any kid, he has his moments and, um, and you have to deal with them challenges. Okay, we've got a question all the way from Australia here, Rido. Um, Matt War and his nine-year-old son, who uh, they listen to the podcast, so they um, they sent a question in for you. And it is: other than have fun and work hard, what is the best advice you received as a young player, please? And what would your own advice be, Pez? Oh, so I get a little mention here as well. So, so yeah, I think they're saying. The obvious ones, have fun, work hard, kind of have become a bit of a cliche in, t- in terms of development. Um, what other sort of advice? They're, they're the kind of go-to ones, aren't they? You know, so yeah. what else is there? What, what, what were you, anything golden nuggets that you had? Well, I, I, just, just, to try, just to try and take on board as much as you can. This is a, this is a massive learning period. You know, nine-year-old kid there massive learning period just just listen take things on board you know um, don't be afraid to ask questions um, now I'm not saying that when that you just kind of keep talking and but but don't be afraid if you don't understand something ask the question that was a massive thing for me when I was younger um, and I probably used to maybe annoyed coaches because I probably asked too many questions but if I didn't understand, and, and I'm the same now, um, it, you know, so you talk to about kids, but I'm the same now. If I don't understand something, instead of sitting there, like when, when we were in the pro license um, and uh, somebody will come in to do a lecture for us and I'm sitting there and, and I don't understand something, I, I, I can't just sit there and just kind of brush over it and I have to kind of say, I'm sorry, I don't understand that. And some people might see that as a sign of weakness. Oh, well, he doesn't understand it. I don't see that as a sign of weakness. I see that as a sign of strength because it means that I'm learning. If I, if I just kind of pushed over and I didn't learn, I, miss, I might miss something massively important there. And it's the same with, with young players. You know, if your coach is coaching you something and, um, and you don't understand it, you have to put up your hand and say, can you just explain that to me again, please? And you try and put it right. And if the if if the young player still doesn't get it and he needs more time, then you might need to do something at the end of the session, um, or it, it start a different session, or find a little bit of time to try and explain it to him in a different setting that's not in the group setting. So you're not kind of holding up everybody else um, in the session. So um, that 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 would be a little 
kind of hint for a coach to kind of do something like that. But for the young person, you know, don't be afraid. You know, as a coach, you've got a responsibility to to try and help the kids get better and try and help them to understand. So um, when they ask you questions, um, that's what we're there for, you know, we're, um, we're coaches. But it's a coach stroke teacher. You know, you're just, you're just not teaching schoolwork. You're teaching football. Yeah. Um, but you're still teaching. So, um, so, so I would say, you know, don't be afraid to kind of ask questions and don't be embarrassed about not, not understanding something. Well, um, I always say good coaches coach the sport and the great coaches coach the child. So you asking questions actually helps that process for a really good coach because you should. I always thought when I started, I'm coaching football. I'm a football coach. Well, actually, I'm not a football coach. I'm a children's coach. I just use football, if that, yeah, if that makes it, sense. So asking those questions and helps good coaches to, to coach you as an individual rather than just the sport as a collective. Yeah, and, and, and as, as I mentioned, it's not, it's not a sign of weakness. It's not... Um, it's not. It's not you. Kind of, you you should be. You should be proud of the fact that you're strong enough to to kind of ask that question because there'll be loads of people who won't be strong enough to ask that question, and that's and and that's not um, that's not a slight, you know, because people get embarrassed. Young people do get embarrassed sometimes, and they're like, oh, I don't know. Well, well, if if that's the case, and you don't want to ask in front of the group, go and see the coach at the end of the session. I kind of say to him, listen, I didn't understand that bit that you were trying to coach, but I didn't really want to ask in front of the whole group, but could you explain it to me a little bit better now? And that's brilliant as well. Because it shows a, it shows a willingness to learn that you want to get better. Um, and it, sh- it shows an inner strength, you know. And that you care. Yeah. That you care yeah. about what you're doing. Um, from my point of view, I always go back to outcomes and processes um, and this is for the parents. I mean, I'm, as you know, I'm writing a book about a guide for parents at the moment. So um, nice to get a little plug in for there. Look out for that one. Um, but I go, always go back to um, outcomes and processes and don't get too worried about the outcome because I see it a lot more with parents and kids, but it's becoming more with children as well that the outcome might be I want to be a pro player, I want to get in an academy. And, and that's an outcome. And you've got to. With every outcome, there's a process you have to get through to get there. So find out what the process is, what other people have done, and what might work for you, and concentrate on the process, and then the outcome will take care of itself, hopefully. you know. So, for example, you see a lot of players who really want to be a pro or, or parents who want their kids to be a pro. If it's not happening now, or they're not getting any signs it's happening, they'll move club, or they'll go to another one-to-one coach, or they'll go to another team or another organization or whatever it is and they're kind of chasing the outcome you just got to relax don't compare yourself to others concentrate on the process which is your own individual development and improvement and, and surround yourself with good people that have that in mind yeah I, I think a really good way to implement that would be goal setting um short term medium term and long term goals it just gives you a little bit of a structure into how you can do that because you know, it's 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 easy to kind of say, right? Well, the process, okay, but what is the process? Yeah. You know, it, it, like that's if there's no substance to that, then that's just a word, you know. So a good way to break that down and a simple way to do it is set three short-term goals, three medium-term uh, goals, and three long-term goals. Write them down, put them on your fridge, and tick them off as you go along. 
And when you take them off, if you do it in pencil, rub it out and write another short-term goal. And then you've always got short-term, medium-term and long-term goals and you've always got something there. And I always, we say put it on the fridge because I think a visual is sometimes really, really good. You know, because, you, you know, the, the, the kid might be going to the fridge to get a drink or whatever and you go, well, you know what, I'm, I, I need to just go out and practice my kick-ups here because I need to get to Torty because that's next on my short-term goal list. Or I need to get a little bit fitter, so I need to go out and do a bit of running. I need to get better with my left foot. Now, that, now, getting better with your other foot might be a medium to, to long-term thing because it's not going to happen in one day. It's a process that you do. So maybe you could take off, right, I've done a session working on me uh, on my weaker foot. Um, and I, I just think it puts a little bit more structure to it. And that, in a, it's just an example, but that can be the process then. you know. So Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's great advice <laughs> is that continual personal development. You can get help with that. You know, from your parents, from good coaches will help you with your own personal development plan. I mean, the, the, the pattern I've seen is that a lot of parents, um, rightly or wrongly, like to think that their child has something special. I think there's a stat of, I think it's 80% of parents think that their children are above average or special at something. So in the football world, most parents think their kids are in the top 20%. And, and what I found has happened is, a lot of them just think that they need to be in the right place at the right time to be spotted and it will take care of themselves. Rather than concentrate on that development that you said in the process, it's, oh, well, let's go and play in the Junior Premier League because that's where all the scouts go. So they look for a team there and, oh, this coach hasn't seen what I see in my child, so we're going to move to a different team. And, this, and they end up chasing it. Um, and you end up doing more miles in the car and, you know, all those other things negatives that come with it like making new friends all the time and anxiety performance anxiety and all that lot come into it whereas it's just you know relax a bit and, and yeah. like you say find and out what's going to work for you you talk about that anxiety um and 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 a lot of the time it does come from the parents um and it feeds down into children because they know exactly what's going on Kids pick up stuff, so much stuff. They're like sponges. They, they they listen to your conversations. You know they they know what's going on. If you keep constantly changing your team, they're going to be like, "Well, what's going on here?" Well, my dad wants me to be a footballer. My mum wants me to be a footballer. Okay, but what about the enjoyment? I want to play football because I enjoy. It. And okay, if I get there, then 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 great. But um, uh, yeah, it's it, it's a strange. I think parents have uh, have responsibility. You know to. Um, you know, pushy parents. Nobody likes pushy parents. Um, no. And, 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 and what I will say is, and, I, and again, I know this because I've seen it, you know, if, if you're at a club um, and, you, you, you know, you're, you're being really, really pushy and you're saying, do this, do this, do that, or whatever, that coach at a club is just kind of going to look and go, this is not this. This is not the environment that I'm trying to create. This is not a one. So you're not doing your kid any favors, no. you know. And you t- you you might think you're doing favors, and I know we all get wrapped up in football, and I sometimes do as well. But when I bring Oscar down to football, and and, and I'm watching him playing, I I stand on the sideline and I don't say anything because I'm trusting the people that are coaching him to do the right things now. When, you, when the game is finished, I'll sit and I'll have a conversation with him and he'll ask me what I'm talking and I'll tell him what I think. But while the game is going on, you're trusting the, 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 the coaches to, to, to get the right information across them. Uh, don't put that pressure on them. It's not, 
And, and for the game to be the teacher as well. If you're constantly saying, you know, do this, turn out, you know, put him in, whatever, you're you're putting those important decisions into their head and they need to find out what decisions work and what don't. Yeah, and I know it's, I know the point that you're making there, everybody thinks that the kid is special and every kid is special to their parents and they should be. Yeah. But trust me when I tell you, you're not doing them any favours if, if that's your, your, your type of behaviour, you know, you're really not doing them any, in fact, you're hindering them. You know, you're making life more difficult for them because then they might have to produce more to, 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 um, so say for instance, if it is a club where you go on a trial and they feel like they're under pressure and the, 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 the coach is kind of looking at the parent going, well, he keeps shouting on. Um, is he that special that we want to keep him on? Well, not if we have to put up with all that. So, you know, you, you could be directly hindering the, hindering the child. So I would say just have a consideration of that, you know, well, am I doing the right thing for my child here? And is my child, is my child enjoying this? Because yeah. I don't think it enjoys the parents screaming at them. And I've seen it on the sideline. Not nice. No, no I've got first-hand experience of this. Um, before I was linked with Southampton um, as much as I am at the moment, um, we had a, a Bournemouth scout come and watch one of our games. And um, the reason that they didn't take one child was actually because they quoted that um, parent was a nightmare parent. They said, we, you know, yeah. a, a level with so many other kids, we don't want the problem of a nightmare parent to deal with. So, uh, and Perry, you're saying that's one example. And I've had in the last six or seven months, um, I've had... 15 conversations like that where the same bro I don't like what that parent brings to the environment I don't really like you know this is the coach of the team you know saying I, I, I don't like what he brings I don't like uh, the pressure that he puts on the player I don't like the other parents looking at him going well why is he shouting during a game and then other players other parents then might think that that's acceptable to do yeah. so then sudden then that rubs off and other people you've got four or five parents um, kind of being really, really pushy with the kids, thinking that they're doing the best for them. Well, they're not. So, they, you know, they have to. And, and, you know, you can say, oh, well, I just want the best for my kids. Yeah, everybody wants the best for the kids. But you're talking about coaches, their experienced coaches who have kind of seen it and they know how to develop young players. Let them do the job. I mean, say, for instance, if, he, if, if one of the parents is a computer programmer, um, you won't hear the coach coming over to the computer program <laughs> when you go to work on Monday you better program that computer this way this way this way and this way okay because if you don't you're doing it wrong because what would he say what would oh, he say yeah. turn around and say what do you know about that exactly exactly yeah so it, it, another small little um, experiment you can do is if you're one of those dads that likes to play a bit of FIFA Play a bit of FIFA and get your child to stand behind you, shouting at you for the whole thing and see how much you like it. It <laughs> takes you two minutes at most before you're like, will you shut up? Let mate, me play, because it puts you off. Yeah, mate, I'm not going to do that. Because last <laughs> summer, it's Oscar and FIFA. He beat me 8-0. And then I had to kind of make out like a let him beat me when when really I was like, there was steam coming out of my ears. And I was like... <laughs> I was, and I was proper trying to beat him and, and, and I couldn't. I couldn't. So, yeah. I'm really schoolboy error playing FIFA with your boy. I'm just telling you. Yeah. You just don't I, do thought, it. I thought it would be a good way to bond. This will be a good way to bond. But uh, we always play on the same team. But even uh, that, even that, you're, oh, it's yeah, hard work. 
<laughs> now I, I, I won't be falling for that again. No, right. Well, we'll move on. It's a good question. Um, oh, and this ties in nicely. So, how important were your family, um, especially your father? And we've touched on that before in helping you your development in those early years. And it it's interesting. And going back a question with the parents, I, I still think the parents are the biggest single influencing factor in the child's development in football. I, I, I really do. And I read a lot of autobiographies, as you can see, I've got loads behind me and not many of them say, yeah, I had this great coach when I was nine, 10. It was about the influence of their family, their parents playing in the street, their friends and experiences they had. It's, it's very rare that they mention a specific coach until they get a little bit older and get a bit more of a bond with a coach, if that makes sense. So, yeah, but that's not just that? that's not just in football. You've just said there in football, your parents and your family are the biggest influences on your life, yeah. uh, inside and outside of football. Because young players only know what we, uh, young people only know what we teach them, you know. Um, and I know as they get older, they start to have it be influenced by other people, like friends and and stuff like that. But in your household setting, if you can set kind of good uh, parameters for them and make them understand and what it is, then then they'll start to buy into that, and, um, and and that's where the role of the parent becomes very very important. And listen, I'm no I'm, I'm no parent and expert. I think I've done all right being a parent, but I wouldn't be reciting parent and guide or anything like that. You know, don't get me wrong. So I'm not here kind of preaching to people. Um, when they're saying do this and do that because everybody's different and certain things work for some people but you need to try and give them a good stand and you need to try and help them have that bit of humility um, inside and outside of football teach them good manners and I know I know it might sound like a <coughs> excuse me I know it might sound like a simple thing to do um, but the amount of kids that don't have good manners like that you know you see them you go to a restaurant or you uh, you go somewhere and and somebody you, you know you get them something and, or somebody brings them over something they don't say please or they don't say thank you now that that is completely unacceptable in my household and it might be acceptable in other people's household, but I think it's very important that people have hum- humility um, uh, and are appreciative um, have manners you know all them things and they're all things that your parents can can kind of teach you um, you know uh, they can teach you. And they can lead by example by doing it themselves. You know, I'd like to think that my manners are really, really good. I'd be really disappointed if if anybody ever said to me my manners weren't good. Um, I'd be very, very upset, in fact. Um, and that rubs off on my kids. Um, and you might say, oh, well, that's not really that important. If, if somebody is, is, is like, oh, well, that's not really that important. Well, it really is important. You know, if you're talking about it in a football perspective, we're... We're looking for good people in our football clubs. Um, everybody are. You don't, you know, we, we want good people. So if somebody comes in and they've got great manners, they show real willing to learn, then we're like, well, I can work with him. If somebody comes in and they're like rude and um, standoffish and arrogant, then you kind of think, well, I'm not too sure I want to work with him. And it's, it's a natural thing. But outside of football, um, and I always say, and we need to do it with, with our... Um, with the players in their academy because they're not all going to make it as footballers. Now, when they do leave football, we have to try and give them as many life experiences as we can, give them the best ways of trying to get on in their life because they might have to go and walk on a building site, which which is great. But if you're disrespectful on a building site, you get a clip across the ear. 
you might have to go and walk in an office. If you don't um, behave yourself properly in an office, they'll sack you. You know, so you have to try and give them the best um, the best footing that they can. And that's parent. That's where parents are massively, massively important. They have such a big influence on, on the kids. Sometimes they probably don't even realise it. But if you realise how big of an influence you are on your child um, and how much they rub off you, then maybe you might look on it a little bit differently and say, yeah, okay, I never really thought of that before, but my kid really does take after me, so I need to lead by example, and he will follow, um, and he will have them them good qualities there that we all want to see in young people, you know. Great advice again, Rido. Um, we've got a question here from Lee Morgan and his son, Ben. Now, just a bit of background behind this one. When I was um, advertising that we were... Um, going to be doing this podcast with you I put a photo up to say to, to all the kids and parents do you want to have any questions coming we used a photo of you with Roy Keane and I think you were just lining up to play San Marino and there's clearly been a joke between the two of you I don't know if you remember it or you know the photo that I'm talking about um, but Lee wants to know what might you have said to Roy Keane to make him laugh um. <laughs> Um, I don't know I might have said something like every time you get the ball just give it to me and I'll make something happen <laughs> that's probably why he was chuckling away probably was yeah <laughs> no you know what right uh, Roy, Roy okay me, I've always grown well with Roy Roy is not a friend of mine uh, he's, he's an ex-teammate and he's an ex-manager He's somebody that I've had, you know, good conversations with when we walk together in a professional environment. But what a lot of people don't understand about Roy is that he's got a very, very good sense of humour. And a lot of people kind of don't see that. And he's a, he, he's a fascinating character. And it's why people talk about him all the time And when you look at something. And, and I know the picture that you're on about because when it did come out somewhere, um, I had loads of people text me saying, what did you say to Roy? And listen, obviously it was about 15 years ago or whatever. So... I can't remember, um, but uh, people are fascinated by him because he's a, he's, he's a fascinating character, but he's very, very funny. And he's got a really good sense of humour. Um, so I don't know, people might think it's a surprise that you're kind of having a joke with him or whatever, because he, at times he can be he can be a serious character, but he also has a very, very good sense of humour. And it's a, probably a side that not a lot of people, uh, not a lot of people get to see of him, you know. Brilliant. Um, it's a great photo, by the way. It's a nice, it's a really nice one. I like it. It's one well, of those yeah. photos that makes you smile along with it. And you didn't, well, you, you know naturally want to know what was said. You know that I'm really funny, anyway, Perry. So don't, don't you don't be looking so surprised. Well, I'll try and remain professional for the podcast. <laughs> we'll chat about that afterwards. <laughs> right. Um, we hear a lot of coaches saying that they need to be in and around the game, um, particularly ex-players, obviously, or that they want to give something back to the game. What were the reasons you decided to go into coaching after you retired? Probably the main reason was because I wanted to stay in football. Yeah. Football was all I've done all my life. So I wanted to stay in football. You get a buzz out of football. It gives everybody a buzz. Football does. Um, so I wanted to, to remain in football. And then when you look into a little bit deeper, then you want to expand your mind um, a little bit. I want to get better. Um Coaching is a good way of doing that. There's so many different facets to coaching um, that there's so many areas where you can kind of improve on. And, you know, the psychology side of it, you can work on the periodization side of it, you know. So can we um, set up plans to make sure that our team are fit and ready and raring to go come Saturday? 
that's a challenge in itself. Can we technically improve players? What drills can we set up to improve them? And tactically, how can we help our players become uh, more adept? So all of them things um, led me to wanting to go into coaching because there's so much learning involved in it. And I probably, I probably learned so much more over the last two years in doing my pro license. Um, you know, we've spoken before about our coach education department over, over uh, in Ireland and absolutely fantastic. Um, the, the pro license was brilliant. You learned so much. And, and, and what you become then when you start to learn, it's all right learning stuff, but you need to understand why you're learning it and what it is exactly you're learning. So then you start to become more self-aware. Um, and, and that's a massive thing as well. And I don't know if I, if I mentioned this in the first um I don't know if I mentioned this in the first uh, the first episode of the of the podcast that we've done. Um, I, I'm undertaking a personality test at the moment. Um, there's a fella called Barry uh, Barry Jansen over in uh, Canada, and he's worked with a lot of athletes over there, and he, he, he does a personality test. So I, I'm I'm in the process of, of of getting it all done now, and then he assesses it, and he's able to tell you. Um, from the, the the bits they answer, uh, yeah, you're strong in this area. Um, this is this is a real strong point for you. So really push ahead and use that. And this might be an area that you can look at to try and improve. Um, and it's not necessarily all directed at football. It's directed at your, your personality. But you can take that into your coaching. Then you know. So all these different areas that you can take coaching and all the different things that you can learn has what's become the main reason why I like going into. Um, football and you know you talk about giving something back you know I travel through you know it's, it, 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 I think it's an easy t- it's a throwaway comment sometimes by people and it's just an easy thing to say the reason that I for me why I think it fits is because I've travelled you know I'm working at Nottingham Forest now with the 20 trees I've travelled through that pathway I've come up through the academy so I know what these players are experiencing so we can, and I know what it takes to get from the academy into the force team. So I feel that I have got something that I can help them with um, in, in mentality, in, in, in football, in all them things that I can help them there. The same with the Ireland stuff. You know, I played for Ireland's under 18s. So I know what these players are experiencing. So I feel that I'm in a good place to be able to, to help them along and to try and, to try and get them into a, into a good, to try and create a good learning environment for them based on not based on books that I've read or not based on games that I've gone to watch but based on the fact that I have been where they've been and I've managed to come through it and be be reasonably successful so so that they're the main things why um uh, why I went into coaching yeah when did it start developing then this passion or the idea that you were looking into that. I mean, obviously I've known you for a long time from when you were a player and, I, and I've always probably had you down for probably going into the media a little bit more than the coaching. Was there a defining moment or a, did you think, oh, I'm getting more and more interested in these team talks and sessions? Can you put your finger uh, on it? Uh, I can't put my finger on one specific time. I think it kind of grew. Um, I think when you get over that 25, 26 age um, barrier, you're kind of thinking, oh, I'm getting closer to 30 now. Before 25, you think you're going to play forever. And then when you get to kind of 26, 27, um, you're kind of thinking, all right, I need to start thinking about this now. What am I going to do when I finish? And 
didn't really want to contemplate life out of football, you know. Um, uh, because I do love the interaction. I think I'm quite personable, and I do like the interaction um, with players. You know, I, you know, I always have, even when I did play. Um, and I don't, um, I don't, I don't buy into the. You know, when, when players retire and they kind of say, "Oh, I missed the banter," and you know, because yeah, it's good to be have that camaraderie, and it's good to go in in the morning and have. But I, that's not what I miss. I miss the football. I miss going out on the training pitch. I miss preparing for the games, getting that challenge of we're going to play on Saturday. And, and and kind of coaching gives you that in a different way because you're setting up the team um, and trying to give them the tools to go and do it. But it's still a challenge for you. And they're the type of challenges in football that I wanted to kind of uh, that I wanted to kind of still be able to replicate. It's kind of shared experience with a common objective, isn't it? Yeah. Trying yeah, to go towards yeah. which is what uh, you can miss. And, and then and then I started to kind of think to myself, right, what can I kind of take from managers? And then that's when I started to kind of take some notes. Um, and I retrospectively took notes as well. So, um, you know, you, you were there when Alan Pardew was at um, Charlton. And um, Pardew, I thought, was a great manager. You know, I really did. He was a really good man manager. He was a really good coach. So I... Um, so I was retrospectively took notes. So I started trying to think back about the things that parts I thought was really, really good at and the things that I thought could kind of could could help me um, in my coaching career. So I've got them notes. And then also I've got um uh I started taking notes of kind of current managers that I was working under. So Sean O'Driscoll, um, really, really interesting manager and really, really good coach. Um can you just pause that for sounds, sounds like Oscar's yeah. practicing. Yeah, sorry. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Well, he's, uh, he's committed. Yeah, he's no, found, he the, found the wall of your office to practice against. I like it. I told him that I'm on the Zoom as well. <laughs> <laughs> Grounded. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, so he, uh, yeah, so 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 I started taking notes from them, uh, from their managers, you know, of, of of you know, yeah, I would like to do that, um, I would like to try that, but also what you you would not do, I think that's important as well because there's loads of things that I see managers do that I thought, well, I wouldn't do that when I was a manager, and it's important to understand that because you might come across a situation where it might come up, and um, and you go, oh, I've been, I've seen this situation develop before. I don't think that that's the right way to go. So it's important to take things from managers that you work in the world. So I think it's important to take things that you wouldn't do, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'd not, I'd not thought of it that way. Very interesting. Have you had much contact with any ex-coaches and managers? Have you picked up the phone to say, look, I'm going down on this journey. Have you got any advice for me right from the start? Yeah. Have been helpful? Yeah, well, well um what, what one conversation? Only I was on the phone yesterday to uh, to Rob Kelly. Now Rob Kelly's a coach that I worked with at Forest, and he's a coach that I've got a tremendous amount of respect for. Fantastic coach, uh, but a great guy as well, and type of coach that you want to do things for. You know, you kind of say, "Oh yeah, I can see why he's doing this." Really innovative, really a great guy as well. Which is not the be all and end all because I played under coaches there, um, I didn't really like, but. I knew they were good coaches, um, but, but um, Rob kind of had a bit of both and really respected him. And I ended up, was on the phone to him yesterday for probably about an hour, and Rob's uh, walking over a Fortuna Dusseldorf 
um, at the moment with um, Uwe Rosler. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, and, and Rob's brilliant. Really, really good. But I, 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 unfortunately, they got relegated at the weekend. They went in and they were really cut adrift and they went in and turned it around and only got relegated on the fourth day and he was really disappointed. But I'm trying to kind of pick his brains, you know. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm saying, right, well, what's the processes here? What have you been doing? Um, how have you been able to make this kind of big improvement? How, um, and, and, you know, where do you see I might be able to, where might I be able to take that into my kind of coaching? And, you know, and I had a great conversation with him and, and he said, really, come over and see me anytime if, you know, um, if he stays there. Um, he says, come over and see me kind of anytime and see what we're doing and see what we're all trying to, um, what we're trying to work on, have a look at the academy. And I was like, great. And then he said, and I'd love to come in and see you walking as well because I can still learn. Uh, you know, I'm still learning all the time. So there's probably plenty of things that I'll come in and spend a few days with you. Um, and uh, and I'll learn. And, and I thought it was, it was really, really good, you know, and it was great. So things like that are really, really important, you know, that you can that you can pick up um, these things from people. And, um, you know, and, and I think kind of mentoring is, is important as well. Jim Crawford, who's at Ireland under-21s manager, he's, he's, he's a coach that I went into work with Ireland's under-18s and he moved up the coach of the 21s and he, he's now the Ireland under-21 head coach um, and he's a fantastic guy and he's, he's a coach educator as well uh, and, and he's somebody that I feel that can pick up the phone to and kind of you know bounce something off me. He always gives you a well-balanced answer and um, always kind of point you in the right direction he's great at spotting things that you might not spot and give you just a different way of looking at it and a different angle to kind of come at it from so um people like that are feeling massively uh, massively important and um, because you can't do it all on your own um you need to kind of learn from other people and you know football is is kind of like that and it's one of the reasons why i think in lockdown has been really good because i think people have started to share a lot more than lockdown than probably what they would in normal football and um, so you know people doing zoom calls people interacting by microsoft teams and um coaches doing presentations and, and i've done it myself you know coming on and doing this for you is a way of me kind of um interacting and kind of given a little bit of, 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 of my knowledge that I feel to. But also it's been the same working up the chain. You know, I've, I've been on Zooms with Roberto Martinez and um, and I learned kind of so much for it, you know. And so, so it kind of works both ways, you know. And um, I've, got, I've done some webinars. I've done one for the Vancouver Whitecaps Academy staff, put on a presentation for them on um, player profile and player development and what my thoughts are. And then, you know, and then as I'm coming to the end of that, I'm saying to them, right, what do you guys do? Um, show me what your um, game model is. And, and I went through what their game model was with them because I want to share the information, but I also want to learn as well. And and uh, and, and as I said, I think in, in football can be a bit closed off uh, in a lot of circumstances, but in some ways this has been really good throughout lockdown because people have been a little bit more open and kind of thought, well, you know what, it's maybe not a bad thing to share some of my ideas at the moment. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's um, It's been one of the big pluses. I think people have enjoyed it. I don't think people have really realised before that they might actually enjoy interacting with other people and sharing information because traditionally it's been quite closed. This is my style and, you know, and, I, and I've got my own way of doing things and I'm not sharing it. And I think people have actually enjoyed doing it. 
and it's a new we found a new way of interacting um you know not too many people were interacting via zoom and microsoft teams and stuff like that in, in football before this kind of um before this this pandemic happened um and now I mean, I know that I'm going to use Zoom and uh, other different platforms um, moving forward from now on. So it's given me an extra tool um, to, 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 to help players develop. Massively. Right. We have a question. Well, actually, we've got three quick fire questions here. So we'll, uh, we'll try and get through them because I'm, I'm conscious of time for you, mate. I know you're a busy man. This is from uh, Mark Farron. He's an old teammate of mine, actually. So... Um, He's hit us with, what's the worst stadium that you can remember playing in? Um, things referees say on the pitch to each other, and does relegation hurt as much for players as for the fans? So he's been very greedy there with three questions, as old Fazza. So uh, we won't take too much of your time on this one. But worst stadium? Right, worst stadium would be, uh, would be Rotherham. Did you play at Charlton? Was it Charlton? We went and played them. I can't remember. We went and played them. It might have been a Forest, actually. Um, we we went there. Um, uh, Rodrum's old ground, Millmore, it was called, and they've got yeah, a beautiful. They've got a beautiful new stadium now. The um, uh, the New York Stadium, I think it's called. Um, but their old stadium, Millmore, uh, you go in and you could probably only fit maybe half of the squad in at a time to get changed and then they'd have to go out and then the other half would go in and get changed. It was an absolute nightmare. And then you went down to the pitch and when I say there was a, there was a hill on the pitch, it was like, <laughs> you know, and they always used to try and obviously win the toss or in the second half, shooting down the hill, you know, and it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was just graft. It was really, really hard working. They used it to their advantage to be fair to them, but that was probably... Um, one of the uh, one of the worst places that I've been. Yeah, I, I remember a few times setting out in the corridor of Gaff. Is it Colchester? Was, was it their old ground where you could only get a bit of kit in there and a few of the players and you're spreading out? And and even, I seem to remember Plymouth before their new ones as well. The the, the home dressing room was okay, but the away one was tiny uh, thing. You'd end yeah. up getting changed in the showers and stuff. You find that that's the case a lot of places, yeah. But, yeah. you know, I quite like that as a fan, going to these yeah. old grounds and had a touch of yeah. nostalgia about it. I, I, you know what, listen, I do get you. Yeah, I, t- I, totally, I totally understand. Um, I do totally understand that. And, and I like that as well because I love the history of football. But, um, you know, from a professional point of view, you know, you want to try and have the best preparation possible. And, listen, I suppose it, 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 in some ways it kind of taught me, you know what I mean? It, like, you, you kind of learn from it as well. So there's lots of learning act, um, aspects to, to go along with doing it. And, and like that too, with young players that we're sending out on loan, uh, it doesn't do them any harm to send them out to an environment that's kind of not as uh, not as good and wouldn't be as kind of financially backed as the environment that that we kind of live in and that we work in. Um, the, the 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 funny thing about that that um, time when we played against um, when we played against Rotherham, um, I just we, we played against them on the Saturday, um, but on the Tuesday night I played for Ireland against Brazil, um, and we played against. Uh, Cafu, Ronaldo, um, Ronaldinho, uh, Kaka played. Um, they they had a they had a ridiculous team. They had a ridiculous yeah, team. Rob room today. We played against them on the Tuesday night. Um, <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. We got, we got a draw against them, and then 
Um, so obviously I would have flown back uh, to, to England on the, the Wednesday, uh, trained on the Thursday and the Friday, and then we went to play them on, on the Saturday. And it was, uh, it was interesting, you know. And, and I think you're kind of thinking, right, well, how do you get yourself motivated for this? Um, but it wasn't a problem because look playing football you know what I mean so it wasn't a problem you go in and you've got the task at hand that you need to do so there's good challenges and good mental challenges for you as well you know yeah things referees say on the pitch do you have a good interaction with some of them do you, do you yeah. ever have any banter with any of them can you remember yeah, yeah, we had we had had a we had a bit of banter. So I, I, the reason that this is fresh in my head is because I was just looking on Twitter there earlier on, and Dean Windass put something up on Twitter. I remember he was playing for Sheffield United, and I was playing. And both of us at times in their career used to kind of carry a little bit of weight. And um, he came over and he said something to me like "you fat so and so" or something like that, and I went like that. Pocket up, you know, kind of, you know, it was kind of a bit of banter. And next fall, the referee came over and he goes, Well, I'm fatter than both of you, lads. So, uh, <laughs> and the boat was just there laughing and it was really funny. And I thought he probably wouldn't remember, but it, I remember, I think it was, I think it might have been a playoff game actually when we played them at the city ground in the fourth leg of the playoff. And it was, it, it was really funny. So sometimes you can interact with them, sometimes they're frustrating as hell, though, you know, they. Uh, they they really are, but you know there was some good ones that kind of got gone on okay with. But I would have been pretty moany on the pitch, so a lot of them, <laughs> a lot of them probably didn't like. Loved, loved the little moan, didn't you? Um, and then his final one was, and I think we could probably answer this one quite easily. Um, does relegation hurt as much for the the players as the fans? And I guess it really depends on the type of person you are, as with anything. Yeah, listen, I played with people who got relegated and. They, they didn't make a difference to them. They didn't, they, you know, they, they, they weren't bothered. And, and sometimes that was just their personality. And and in some ways that, that can be a plus to have as a footballer because it, it means that things don't affect you. Um, uh, and so, and, and you can use that as an advantage if, you know, if you haven't lost and you, or if you've lost and it doesn't really affect you and then you need to move on to the next game to get yourself right, they're the same every single game. So in some respects, it can be a positive, but uh, I, I, I was never like that and I couldn't be like that. Losing games of football affected me. Losing games in training affected me. Like that. When I say affected me, it didn't affect me where I was going around down about it, but affected me is in that it made me, um, you know, make me angry and make me want to get a little bit better and, um, and getting relegated hurt, you know, when, when we got relegated at Charlton. Um, yeah, I think... Really cool. It's a horrible place, really. I've been there with Charlton, as you know, and just having that looming there, because it's pretty much all season, you get an idea that that could happen. And, 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 and yeah, it's horrible. You it can be a little bit, you know, you're trying to influence the environment. You're trying to you know, get things going the right way and, and, and no matter what you try, it seems to kind of get a little bit worse and it's, uh, so, so, so what it is, to, but it's, it's a horrible feeling, it's a horrible feeling to know that you weren't good enough because that's what it is, you know what I mean? But you, you can say, oh yeah, well, this happened and this player done this and that player done that. Take that all away, that's all just excuses. You were not good enough, so you got relegated. Yeah, and, it, and it's not just that, I think, not all of them, but certainly at Charlton, there was players who, cared about the staff and you mm. get attachments to people and you, you know that if you get relegated the catering yeah. staff are going to be axed the masseurs are going to be axed one physio might go and these people are your friends 
So you're 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 representing just not just yourself and the fans, but for your friends behind yeah. the scenes as well. And it's not a nice place to be. So it doesn't. No, absolutely not. It's not. And, um, well, I know for me after that relegation with Charlton, I went away and had. And I've been injured for quite a bit of the second half of the season, but I went away and had a, a really good off season. Like I was in probably most. I think I had two weeks off, um, and then was in for the rest of it. And, and, and I kind of came back the next season flying and kind of raring to go because I felt that I kind of owed it to everybody um, to try and do my best to get the team back up. And, um, and, and, and that's the motivation that that, that that I kind of had, you know. So that, those are three questions from Mark Farron, who uh, is a Crystal Palace fan. So I was kind of hoping you were going to say uh, Sellers Park for the worst ground. But I, I remember we beat them 1-0, I think. 1-0 um, there, yeah. Park. It was one of the, one of the best, best nights of my life. So uh, cheers for the yeah. questions, Fazza, so I can uh, bring that up. Um, we've got a question here as well. I think um, it's the right time to ask this one because of one of your other answers. But it's from a James Biggins. And um, he wants to know who's the best right back you've ever played against. James Biggins. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was. Biggs was a very, Biggs was a, a very good footballer. Probably, probably just lacked maybe a little bit of pace at, at right back. Area, but was a lovely footballer. Played with Biggs, a good friend of mine, great guy. Well, uh, unfortunately, I can say Biggsy for the answer in all in in, in all reality, but. Um, best right back played against got to be Cafu. Yeah, he said you'd say Cafu, so he he, he yeah. knows his stuff. Well, when I say right back, he, he played more like a right winger, and I played like a left back more. So when we played, <laughs> he pushed on that much. Uh, but fantastic footballer, great, great athlete, great quality on the ball, and listen, a real leader lifted the lifted the World Cup for Brazil. So proper hero. I've got a short um, up in the attic. Somewhere, um, Oscar keeps get, uh, keeps wanting me to get it down and get a frame to put it in his bedroom. So I'm oh, going to end up doing that at some point. Uh, he's, a, he's a proper legend, and uh, they, the, the rumor has it that he was offered to Liverpool on a free transfer once, and uh, I can't remember what manager was there at the time, but turned it down. And and uh, Caffey's agent said he would never deal with Liverpool Football Club or that manager again because he just he just couldn't believe it. But yeah. There you go, what a difference he could have made. And it'd be nice to have had him, you know, um, in the Premier League. Um, got a couple more questions, really, if you've still got time, if that's all right. Um, I know we, we do like to chat a bit. Um, most of these are mine now, so we, we, we'll fly through them. Um, I've just watched Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix, and I actually got quite into it. Um, and obviously you played there. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about the passion of the supporters there. And I, and I remember someone asking you this question about, were you aware of that? And did you feel the pressure? And you said, no, not really. Cause I felt I was good enough. And it was a stage of my career. I could handle that. But, but, but what is the passion, passion like up there? Oh yeah. I'm watching Sunderland until I die because it, it's a, it's a club that I'm really fond of, you know, I had a, a, a great time up there. I felt I had a real affinity with, with the football club and, and with the people um, up there. Um, and so I haven't really wanted to watch Sunderland until I die because a little, little bit of, you know, I know I'm not there anymore, but I think it'd make me sad to watch it. Yeah, um, I think it would too. You know, make me really, really sad to watch and see where it's, where it's come. Them people are what makes that football club and it doesn't matter who the owner is um, and it doesn't matter who the manager is, who the players are, um, 
And obviously that matters because you want the players to do well. But what makes that football club of the people? Fantastic people. They're the most down-to-earth. It's a working-class place. It has been. Um, and it's been through a hell of a lot as a city with the, you know, losing the shipbuilding and then losing the mines. And um, they, it's been through a hell of a lot. And, and, and what they have as their kind of beacon and what their highlight is is football, you know? And that football club, and you know, when you when you drive up towards the weir and you look across and you see the stadium alight, and it's a it's a fantastic sight, you know, it really is. And and then people, they they just adore football. It's what they talk about all the time, and and it's it's difficult for them now to accept, you know, where, where they're at. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed it, and I... but the passion that the passion that feeds down from them uh, when you're playing football is something that. If you're a mentally strong person and if you're a decent footballer, you can feed off that passion as opposed to seeing it as a negative and seeing it as pressure. You know, take that energy from them and feed off it. And that's what I tried to do when when I played for Sunderland. And, um, you know, I remember a couple of times, I used it just because uh, it's because I've got you, you on. I, lose, I used the, um, the, the Liverpool game when we played against Liverpool. You remember Darren Bent scored and they hit the beach ball? Yeah, yeah, yeah beat Liverpool 1-0. I mean, the atmosphere that day was absolutely phenomenal. Really was phenomenal. Uh, in that same season, we beat Arsenal 2-2. Was it 2-1? 2-1, I think it was. We beat Arsenal in that same season. Again, the atmosphere was brilliant. The time the time where derbies were phenomenal as well. I, I came up for two of those and it was just different class. Yeah. You know, phenomenal. Yeah, so got to train know, up into Newcastle and had to get the train from Newcastle with the Newcastle yeah, fans to Sunderland. It's crazy, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah, so you know, they're just great people. They remind me very much of of Irish people. Um, got a real witty sense of humour about them. Um, real kind of down to earth um, people, and I I, I get on with. with I got on with everybody up there. Loved my time up there, and we still speak about it now. Me and me and Candy speak about it now about how uh, how much we loved their time up there. You know, spent three and a half years or, or whatever up there, and it was a really happy period in my life. Yeah, it was, uh, there's some good times up there. I used to like coming up for the matches and uh, and uh, going out for a meal afterwards. And you know, you you felt you could do that with the people there. You know, for some places you might try and avoid. But with yeah. there, you you felt kind of safe and part of it, and um, yeah, I, I liked it very much, and I and I did like the series because I I'm a football fan, and I've kind of been in and around the game from behind the scenes, and it had a nice balance of both sort of the problems that um, owners and things have trying to get players, and there was Jack Rodwell, I think it was, was there on about seventy grand a week and not playing, and you've got to try and find his wages even though you're in League One and. It was, it was a nice balance between all of those factors of a, of a football club. But I can really understand why you wouldn't watch it because you probably, I, I guess the people who work behind the canteen and stuff are still the same people as when you were there. And it's it's quite sad to see how they've come down and been, been dealt maybe quite a rough time. But that's football, I guess. And they've got to find a way of, of bringing everyone together and using that passion for the club um, to you know propel it back to where they obviously want to yeah. be. Yeah, and, and the fans will always turn up up there and they'll always try their best to get behind the team. Um, but sometimes you need to give the fans something back as well, you know. I used to say it um, at clubs that I was at, you know, going out and, and, and 
some clubs that you play at, the, the, the fans kind of wait for you to give them a little bit of a G up, you know, the, and, and you have to do that sometimes. And that might be a shot or a goal or a cross or a tackle, a header, whatever it may be, but you some, you just have to give them something, you know. Just yeah. And when, when you do give the Sunderland fans something, they don't have to pay you back, you know, they, they really kind of come with you. Brilliant. Um, changing tack slightly, the Premier League have just announced that teams are now allowed to recruit players from as young as five years of age. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's too young. You know, I really do think it's too young. Um, you, it's a difficult I, one, isn't it? Yeah, it is a difficult one. You kind of want... I, I, I think, the, you know, the you have to stay in the local area if you you know, play for your kind of local team if if you're good enough. And um, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's like anything, really. Talking about recruitment at five, you're talking about recruitment at five years. Of yeah, age. it doesn't sit right with me. Recruitment at five years of age just doesn't um, just doesn't equate. You know, it doesn't doesn't settle. The system's not broke. Just leave the system the way it is for the moment. You know, little tweaks here and there, but. I think I think the problem with it, Rido, is that these teams are starting to do it more and more in different ways. And I think probably the Premier League have decided, well, if teams are going to be sneaky and get these kids in somehow anyway, we're going to regulate it and make sure it's done properly. I guess that's why they've opened it up. Uh, but, well, well, no, but it's still it's that, but that's just pandering to somebody who's breaking the rules. Yeah, I, I can see that too. And, and all it does is it makes the richer clubs richer because they're getting players from all over the place and bringing them in. Yeah. You know, and, and then they're able to get the cream of, of the crop. Um, but that's not... But I mean, in, in, um, in terms of if an academy or, you know, that system is to identify players that maybe one day play in your first team, you can't do that as a five, six, seven-year-old. No, no, yeah, but, but you can give yourself the best opportunity. You can. Um, you, don't know how gonna, you don't know how they're going to turn out. You don't know how they're going to develop moving forward. But, you know, you, and, and players will develop and you get later developers as well. And I totally understand that. But, but you're giving yourself more, like if, you, if you've done it in, in, a, in a percentage terms, if, you, if, if, if um, you, you're a, uh, one of them rich clubs and you can get players in, and you can get tons of players in from a really young age. Law of averages says that you're probably going to have a better chance of getting players into the force team then. Possibly, yeah. I mean, everybody mapping, mopping up with, with, with who's left. Um, because, and I can understand where the FA are coming from, and it's a thing that needs to be acknowledged because I've heard stuff of um, clubs buying um, somebody a house, or say somebody might be from uh, Lincoln. I'm just, just a yeah. thing. My head, Lincoln, um, and then somebody in um, Newcastle, or, uh, they might buy them a house. Now, that's totally fictitious. I've just totally made that up before. <laughs> but I have heard of people um, in uh, 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 clubs, uh, bigger clubs, buying somebody a house and moving the whole family across at seven, eight, nine so years. Within the travelling distance of the club. Yeah. No, that, that's. That's not right, and you can't just because people have been doing that, then turn around and say, "Oh, well, that's well, well, let's change the rules then because they're doing it anyway." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's like saying, "Oh, well, people rob banks, uh, uh, so let's let's make, give them a load of money, make it legal because they're going to do it anyway, aren't they?" You know what I mean? That's just absolute 
Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, there's part of me that thinks it's like anything. It's how it's done. I mean, you might get five or six kids there at five and six years old who it's going to be the best experience of their life. And they'll look back when they're older and go, well, my mum was a single working mum and this... They can have that really good experience at the local club. They could do. They could do. If they get in. It's not... Um, it, and all it does is it just feeds the bigger clubs getting bigger and the smaller clubs getting further away. Yeah. That's that, that, That's all it does, pay. That's all it does. Because you're getting some of these bigger clubs and, and, and they're bringing in 30, 40, 50 players into the system, keeping them in the system with them to take the chance and see, right, well, who's going to develop? And then they release... 35 out of the 45 of them by the yeah. time they get 16 and it's too late then well, can, you, late. can you imagine being a 7 year old and just being released this is ridiculous yeah. <laughs> it's, no. it's there we go interesting don't be, trying, don't be trying to defend that by the way you were kind of half trying to defend that then I say, oh, I can don't you dare hey. try and that. not when you're on a call with me because that, <laughs> You cannot defend that because that's wrong and I don't care what anybody says. Nobody will convince me ever, no matter what argument they put, that that is the right thing to do because it's not fair on the players. As, um, as a journalist, if you like, doing a podcast, I have to throw out both sides so that you, yeah. can, uh, you can have your little rant. <laughs> you need bother playing devil's advocate with me, Paul. <laughs> okay, well, we'll move on for that. I think we know your feelings on that one and, and as I said, it, it doesn't sit right with me. Um, Oh, next question we've already had. Um, I always hear about the game developing and moving on, but are there basics that always stay the same throughout football? You know, it does move on quickly. The game's changed since you retired, but are there some fundamental basics, you know, man management and, and that type of thing that just will always be the same? Well, look, I'll give you a good example. And, and you mentioned man management, right? And I'll, I'll give you a really good example of that. Look at Middlesbrough. Neil Warnock went in, kind of just reorganised the team a little bit, spent two or three days, put them out on the pitch, and they get a 2-0 win um, away on Saturday. Um, now, they're the same group of players that have really, really struggled for the last kind of few months. So you think then, right, well, what, what, what is it? What, you know, he's gave them probably a little bit of organisation and whatever his man management style is, and I think it's been proved over the years that he's a really good man manager, um, and he gets he gets a little bit more out of them, you know? So that never changes. Yeah. Neil has been doing the same thing in management for, for what, 30 years? Maybe, I don't know how long he's been managing for, um, for, for a hell of a long time. So that doesn't change. The basics of the game, head, head the ball, tackle, pass the ball properly and run. You know, they doesn't, you know, it doesn't. You know, they're, they're the fundamentals. You cannot be, okay, I'm not saying everybody has to be good ahead, but if you're a centre-half, you have to be good ahead. But the basics of the game, you have to pass the ball properly. You can't be a top-level footballer if you can't pass the ball properly. You know, yeah. you have to be able to win the ball back. Now, winning the ball back um, doesn't always necessarily mean tackling. You might be good, really good at intercepting the ball and reading the play. But you have to be able to win the ball back. So, you know, them kind of fundamentals and basics will, will always be the basics of football. It might look a little bit different of what you do when you get the ball. Um, you know, 
we went through a stage where everybody was playing out from the back and wanting to build up through the towards and lots of movement. And um, when Man City or, and then Liverpool have come along and they play with real high intensity, press teams really high up the pitch. That's a different way. So, so how people get to it, systems will change as well. We've seen three at the back has become popular. I watched Southampton play yesterday in a four-four-two. That hasn't been very popular over the last kind of ten or twelve years, maybe a little bit longer. But that starting to come around again. So all them things will change. Um, but you still have to do the basics of the game: run, uh, win the ball back, pass the ball properly. If you're a defender, you need to head it. If you're a wide player, you need to get crosses into the box. If you're a striker, you need to score goals and get hold of the ball, get your yeah. team up. Um, and going on from there, is there a style of play at Forest and Island that runs throughout the club, or are you? left to your own devices with that or is there a structure in a, a forest way and an Irish way that you have to not stick to you might get a license within that but are there some fundamentals well, well with Ireland we, we, we like to play variation of 4 3 3 now uh, we like to play that all the way up um, now that will look differently for every team you might be playing with a you know a 6 and 2 10s or you might play with Kind of two sixes and one ten. You might play with your wingers narrowed in a little bit, so it can be a different variation. Whatever way you want to play, you might want to press over the pitch. You might want to set off. So that's down to the coach. But we like to try and have a structure running through. It's different at club level, and the reason it's different at club level is because there's such a big turnover of managers at first team level um, at all clubs at the moment. That if you set up your academy and say, right, we're going to mirror what the first team do, if the manager gets sick, gets sacked in two or three months, your whole syllabus kind of goes out the window. So we have responsibility to give them experience in all different types of shapes and, you know, get our core values across to them. Um, and, you know, like I say, just give them experience in different ways of playing, you know. And uh, core values can go right through the club, can't they, obviously? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that's what you can do. But if you're talking about systems and style of play, it's very, very difficult for an academy to replicate what's going on at force team level because um, the turnover of managers at force team level at almost every club is, is, is too high. And you'd have to change your whole kind of structure yeah. of what you're doing as soon as a force team manager gets sacked because a new manager might come in um, or the same was saying the sack the manager could leave um, as well so there's loads of different variables going into it but it's very very difficult at club level to replicate exactly what the force team are doing that, having said that we, you've always got an awareness of what the force team are doing because if you send players up they have to be able to deal with what it is and they have to have an understanding of what the force team are doing so there's an awareness of what they're doing and you have to get that awareness across to the players but to totally replicate it um, all the way through um, is is not it's not realistic. Yeah, agreed. Um, we would like, sorry, we would like it to be realistic, you know. And you would love to kind of know, right? Well, the first team manager is going to be there for ten years, so you know, you, 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 that would be an ideal scenario. But football doesn't work like that nowadays. I mean, there are some clubs like Barcelona who obviously have a very set way of playing, and then they look for a manager that fits into that style or whatever. But it's yeah. rare, isn't it? Yeah, but, but they, yeah, but, but, and, and that's what they do. They bring in a, a manager to coach in the Barcelona way. Yeah. And because they do. But that's all right if you're Barcelona and you can afford to go out and buy Suarez and go out and buy, yeah. you know, and and then mingle them in with the, with, the, um, with the players that you bring through from your academy, which they've got a 
phenomenal academy just looking at the players that have come through but you need to complement them as well with players who fit into that philosophy and when you've got that kind of strong core um, then you know it's a Barcelona identity and um, that runs right through the football club and clubs in Europe are doing it a little bit are doing it a little bit more now um, and it's possibly something that could be looked at a little bit more in England where the club set out the identity and they set out their style and their system and then they look to to bring in a coach who will coach um, that style and that philosophy and yeah. there's there, there, there's probably something to be said um, for it um, for, for doing something like that you know it means you can keep a bit of continuity but at the moment I don't think there's too many clubs in uh, in England doing that at the moment because um, the, the prize of playing in the Premier League um, is, is massively important um, so you know, to, to, to lose that, um, you know, it'd be a bit kind of panic stations with, with some clubs if they're down and thereabouts and they'll just find any way to kind of get themselves out of it. And if that means going long ball to get themselves out, yeah. then they'll do that because it's such a massive prize. But well, that, that's the other. It's difficult for some teams who won't know what league they're going to be in in five years' time to yeah. have a system because the system of play in the Premier League can be very different to the Championship or even League One. So, really different. Ajax would be another team, I guess, that's got that in Europe, and uh, I guess. Well, does that, that 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 Johan Cruyff influence, isn't that? You know, that runs through Ajax and runs through Barcelona, and um, and, and and that's you know that's kind of what what, what they've done. But again, you're talking about um, you're talking about a massive club that. Um, a massive club that a lot of coaches, a lot of good coaches, would be really, really happy to go in there and work in that Barcelona way. Now, not all clubs are as big as Barcelona and as big as Ajax. So, um, you know, if you want to get a top quality coach and he wants to come in and do it his own way, you know, some of that might be playing out the back, but it might be might, might be different. So if you kind of say to that coach, an experienced coach who's won loads of trophies, and like, well, I want you to come in and coach this way, he's probably going to go, no. Whereas Barcelona could afford, because it's Barcelona, to say that to pretty much any coach and they'd be like yeah I'll come in and coach I think there was a bit of that with Barcelona um, when they interviewed Mourinho wasn't there and it was all going well and everything and then they asked him to you know set down some specific instructions and he said no I'm I'm not going to do it that way so um, yeah interesting stuff I've got a question here about um, Irish football so I've heard about there's a proposed United League of Ireland um, I don't know if you know much about that. Um, obviously, I don't, but I've heard about it, and it's something that I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. Um, I think the idea is that you get more sponsorship and then more money would go into the game and it'd be more interesting for TV and you get more money and the game might help grow. Um, and I don't know if it's something that what you thought about. Yeah, or? yeah I, I know it's been mentioned and I know people were looking at it. Um, how close it is, I don't know. I'm... There's a lot of politics involved in it as well. Um, so I'm not too sure whether it would be a goer, um, to be honest with you. But I say that and I don't have too much information on it, on what way it's going. So I, I wouldn't really like to delve too much into it, yeah. only because I don't know too much about it. And I could kind of sit here and make stuff up and say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is happening and that's happening. But if, in all honesty, I don't know. I don't know what the discussions I had Um some people might think it'd be a positive thing and then other people might think, well, well, that's going against our history and everything that we've done. And, um, you know, so I don't know, mate. I, I honestly couldn't, I couldn't give you too much of an indication either way on it. 
Uh, I think uh, these proposals and these ideas are good to have because if everyone's collectively trying to yeah. improve something, then have the conversation and see what's well, what. Everybody got good ideas, Perry. Um, everybody, everybody's got everybody's got good ideas, but implementing them then it, it, sometimes they're not always you know you can't implement them they're impossible to in, implement them the logistics and the personnel and, and everything suggests that you can't do it I mean we can all come up with great ideas it's you know anybody can write something down on a piece of paper or come up with a dossier but it's only an idea unless you're able to implement it yeah I think it was Brian Kerr I was listening to him on a podcast and uh and, and he was talking about it. I think he's involved with it and just, just thought it was an interesting thing. Wondered if uh, you don't uh, mind about it. But. Might be implementable. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm not kind of privy to, to how they were planning on structuring it or how they were doing it. And I'm not privy to how people on both sides would kind of feel about it. Yeah, so, that's you know, the important so, thing. But maybe they might have a really good plan for it to work and it could possibly work, but, but I don't know. Cool. Right, just literally a couple more from me, and they're quite quick fire. Um, what book or books are you currently reading, and can you recommend maybe a book or a or a, a webinar or a podcast or something for maybe some coaches to well, get involved one with? That I have been um, that I have been reading um, is uh, the Chimp Paradox. Oh yeah, I've got know. it just behind me, just there. Yeah, and, and it's really, really interesting, you know, to understand uh, understand what makes people tick, what makes yourself tick. Um, really, really interesting book. If you're into that side of it, um, then it's 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 very interesting. Um, another one that I've not long read, um, Black Box Thinking. Oh yeah, um, got that as well. You know, uh, and and I I'm not I'm not a big lover of of autobiographies. Um, and I know you are, and I know you really you, you really enjoy them, but they've never really been something that I've kind of been interested in. So um, the, the the books that I read on sport um, are um, a lot of it is to do with the psychology side of it, because um, I think there's massive gains to be made there if you can get the psychological side of it right, get your own psychological side of it right, and then understand what players tick. I think there's massive gains to be made there. Um, if I'm reading stuff that's not about uh, football, then um, the majority of my library would be uh, history. Um, I've got a, a fondness for history, so I really enjoy uh, history. Um, I, most of the stuff has been um, has been sport related, though, over the last couple of years. So um, I, haven't, I haven't really kind of had too much time to read too much history books. Yeah, we're we're, we're very similar there. I um, I read a lot. I've got a whole library behind me. You've been there. Um, and history especially when I lived in London I tried to match that up with constantly reading about the history of London and England and then going to see these places and absolutely fascinating I'm stuff only talking to a friend of mine there I bought him a book um, um, I'm trying to think it, 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 it's just all about facts about London and I bought it for him um, I think you might have that book as well do you know, I think got, I bought you one a long time ago facts of yeah, so I bought, from, I bought one from my mate um, over in uh, over in Ireland, Tom, and I was uh, and I was only on the phone to him there on Sunday, and um, and he was saying to me, uh, he was saying, I've just started reading that book again. He says it's great, and he says I seem to just pick up new things every time I read it. So I, I do like I like factual books, you know, um, 
Uh, and it's probably one of the reasons why I struggle with autobiographies because I think if somebody said to me, right, go and write an autobiography, I wouldn't be able to put everything in it. I remember Ben Ben Thatcher saying the same thing when I said, you've got to write a book, Thatch. So so I'm not thinking that I'm too different to other people in that respect. So I'm thinking, so, well, well, okay, you've told us a bit, but what are you not telling us, you know? Yeah. The, the reason I like them so much is I like to go back to the first few chapters of when they were a kid, where they can be very open and what was their background like and were they playing in the street and were they learning to kick a ball against a wall and what were the influences... And then after, when they get to their career, you know it's all a nice, hazy, well-polished, they've asked people with permission. But those yeah. early years are very, very important to me because I can try and take bits from that. Well, well they, relate what you're, they relate to what you're doing, so, um, so, so I can understand why that is, yeah. Um, do you have a goal in mind for where you'd like to get to with your coaching or are you just enjoying the journey or have you got, this is where I want to be one day? And it can change. Yeah, listen, it absolutely can change. I would like to manage in the Premier League. Of course, and why not? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and like you say, that that can, you know, that can change and you know, uh, coaching might take me down a different route where I feel just coaching is what I want to do or um, or I might go just managing as well. I, I don't know at the minute. I'm just trying to soak up as much as I can, just trying to improve as much as I can and trying to learn, uh, get better, trying to understand myself a little bit better, which is what we mentioned about the personality stuff earlier on. So, so that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. You know, we do. You know, I mentioned them goals um, there earlier on, and the goal setting. And the reason I say that is because that's what I do myself. You know, I've got some short term goals, some medium term goals, and some long term goals. You know, but if you ask me what I'm looking for ultimately, I'd, I'd like to manage in the Premier League. Fair play, and why not? I think it. Why not think big? If that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and all the best to you. Last question from me. Um, as, as bad as this pandemic and lockdown situation has been for a lot of people and for everyone, I personally feel for you it's come at a very good time. And I might be wrong, but I just, I just wanted to touch base with that for a minute, that it seems like it was a good time for you to put the brakes on, see where you're at, reflect. And, and, and you know, because sometimes you can get swept away in football down different paths and that and it seems like it's been a good time you've you've really studied you've got your, your you know you've been doing your webinars you've been reading your books you've been learning knowledge you've been giving things back and I just think you're now infused and, and I'll be up from a personal point of view I've known you for so many years it looks like you've got your spark back Rido it really does you know that enthusiasm and passion that you always had that you might have lost a little bit when you've stopped playing and you know yeah, personal I, things as well through my injuries towards the end as well you know kind of struggled with it and, and that you know and, and that period just after coming out of football I, you know I found it difficult um, I, I, I understand where you're coming from in respect that I've, I've been able to, to kind of get loads done um, during this lockdown um, I've been able to learn loads in different respects so you know presentation skills and doing webinars and learning stuff got me pro license finishing all and things so in that respect it's been it's been massively helpful and um, if you were to say to me um would you would rather be in coaching every single day and i'd rather be in single day um, and i miss it and i can't wait to get back into it because i was in a really good place out on the pitch and really um you know kind of coaching really well I felt at the time so um, yeah so it, you know I've learned loads I've been able to do loads of, I feel my goal 
And when this happened, I said to myself, when lockdown happened and I wasn't, I need to make sure that I am a better coach when I go back to playing um, than, I, than, than I was before. Um, so, and, and that's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to be better. Now, it's going to be looked differently because um, I'm going to be, because uh, it's because it's not on the, I haven't been out on the pitch, but in different ways, um, my communication skills, my IT skills, all them things are going to make me a better coach. So, um, I, I will be a better coach when I go back, I believe. Brilliant. Just had someone knock at the door in the dog park. So it was a, a good time in there. So, so yeah, well, from my point of view, Rio, thank you very much for coming on both podcasts now. We might even have to split this one into two to make a third part because we do like to chat, don't we? But yeah, really appreciate yeah. it. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure, Gordon. Keep, keep going with the walk that you're doing because it's great walking. Um, and it's definitely passing on that knowledge to the kids that that, that, that you've got. So so well done on that, boy. Thanks, mate. And uh, can't wait to see you, obviously. And like I say, you look like you've got your spark back and uh, can't wait to see how you, you, you crack on and achieve yeah. all your goals, micro and macro, all the way to the end and, and, and see what, what the journey, where it takes you. So thanks Good again, point. mate. No problem. Look Top man, to you. speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks.